Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Weekly Call. Uh, we've got a great episode here for you this morning, Achieving Mindful Focus. We really have a deep conversation with Amber to start off about uh, CERB, and this has been a, obviously a topic we've spoke about a lot over the past year, uh, but we talk about how Amber was able, or we, we dig a bit deep and see how Amber is able to achieve mindful focus now that he is not using any gov- government subsidies and back to his bear straits and intrinsic motivators to improve his business. And we then dig into, <laughs> of course, having a, a, a lengthy ex- discussion about the, maybe like the financial or even the psychological impacts of something like CERB. And of course, we finish off with a stellar whack versus wisdom. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of The Weekly Call. Oh, oh, uh, before we let you guys dig into this episode this week, if you're a Monday morning listener, you've likely been a Monday morning listener for a while now, and we really appreciate you digging into these episodes as soon as they come out. And we've got something bigger and better for all of you. We now have a YouTube channel where you can find all of our content, mostly important clips of the of the episodes not full episodes relevant and important clips and most whack versus wisdom clips on youtube so search up the weekly call on youtube and you can now see us in video form as well so now you can sit back relax and enjoy this episode of the weekly call so we can turn on the stress response just by thought alone we can think about our problems and turn on those chemicals that means then our thoughts could make us sick So if it's possible that our thoughts could make us sick, is it possible then our thoughts could make us well? The answer is absolutely yes. You're listening to the Weekly Call Podcast with Austin, Hammer, and John. Welcome. It's enormously important that you do have the right friends. If they make you a better person than you otherwise would be, that's the ultimate gift. It deals for the most part with success. It deals with people who you started your life off with and what success does to them. People look at you strange saying you changed, like you worked that hard to stay the same, like you're doing all this for a reason. Remind yourself, this fight that you're in, this is what will make you stronger. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of The Weekly Call. We've got Amor out in Etobicoke, Ontario. How are you this evening, Amor? Oh, man. Doing really good, man. I, uh... Our business hit a new milestone. Okay. I, uh, I got a notification Tuesday night of somebody sharing my ad to their Facebook post. Okay, let's go. But this guy's Facebook profile is himself with the Confederate flag. <laughs> I have successfully infiltrated the contracting industry, ladies and gentlemen. I am in. <laughs> Oh man. <clears throat> so I spent so much time writing that one ad that he shared to like really hit home and to really, you know, communicate with that audience. And seeing that and that it did, oh man, it feels good. That's hilarious and good for yeah. you. Thank you, man. Thank you. So You are a very- persuasive writer. I, I like to think I am, mm-hmm. but you know, there's always there's always better. I gotta write more of those because entropy exists for some reason. So even when you're yeah. 
when you write a best-selling book, you know, two years later, everybody forget about forgets yeah. about you. So you got to write another. Yeah, that's how it goes, man. Exactly. But uh, that's that's the summary. A lot of things happened this week, but I want to hear, John, how was your week? Yeah, my week was uh, pretty steady. I mean, one of the sort of the luxuries of running a business of my size is that you have a constant source of fuckery to kind of, mm. you know, meditate on, which is kind of nice. Kind of almost, uh, it's almost better. Like, cause like uh, when you're... Um, Can you define the constant okay. source of fuckery? Yeah, just like always something like there's always something that if you like if you want to, there's always something that you can, you know, choose to be upset over. Oh, man, I want to I want to talk about this, but continue. Yeah. You know, whether it be, you know, someone, you know, someone, uh, you know, someone leaves town for the weekend, car breaks down, can't make back to work. You know, someone calls in sick. One guy, you know, can't work on ladders. He quits one, you know, you know, one client wants you to repaint their house, um, you know, wrong color on one house, um, you know, miscollected a, a check, you know, you name it. Like, there's just, there's just always like, I could go on literally, you know, I could, I could just fill up this entire podcast space just with, with all these different, yeah, a constant source of fuckery. <laughs> and, but, but it's kind of nice almost in a way, like it, cause yeah. it, it, like it, it keeps you, it like keeps you on your toes and, and, uh, keeps you fresh. That's a really interesting thing, John, because I feel I feel like I catch myself oftentimes trying to design a system that's perfectly defended against fuckery, but your your stance is actually welcoming it, right? Like, it, not in the way that you're like welcoming errors, but understanding that that happens. I feel like I I agree with that way of thinking, but I often catch myself trying to build the opposite. If that makes sense, build the opposite build the opposite in the sense that I'm trying to actually resist it. Sorry. Yeah. I'm trying to build a system that resists, uh, those types of things as opposed to, let, let me, let me describe this better. Of course, I'd rather not have those things happen than have those things happen. Right. But when they do happen, I'm a lot more tense and anxious, I guess you could say than you are. How, how tense and anxious do you think I am? <laughs> well, the way you talked about it said it gives you something to meditate on. That's why I, I assumed that you were like... Well, uh, it's, well, it's interesting. So it's like... Um, like, here, here's here's way of looking at it. So, like... Uh, and everyone can actually join, join, on, uh, join in on this at home. Amra, you included. So, like, just, like, look around your room and find something that you can stare at. Okay? Like, just... Okay, so like for example, like in front of me, there's a, a Marcus Aurelius statue. So I'm Shocker. staring at him. Okay. Shocker. <laughs> anyway, so everyone, everyone just finds something. Like just, it just, it literally does not make a difference. You could stare at the sky, the wall. Just find something you can stare mm-hmm. at. Okay. I'm looking and at my so, Chris Thompson yeah. statue. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> right now you're staring at a object. And you're directing your attention towards it, and assuming you're actually remaining focused, this is this is what it, this is what attention is called. Okay, but if you continue to focus your attention on this object, but merely become aware that everything else still exists, like I'm still talking in the background behind the object you're looking at, or in your peripheral vision, there's bookshelves. I'm mean, speaking about my 
my surroundings. There's bookshelves, there's the mic, I can kind of see my hands waving in the screen. There's all these other things that are going on, okay? And right now, if someone was to kick down your door, your attention would probably move to the person kicking down the door. But everything else still exists. The bookshelf still exists. The thing you were just having your attention on, that bust, it still also exists. And so if you can live in a space where you are actually now observing, like so you're like, but you can you can actually observe your own attention. Like that's a thing you can you can observe, right? Like you can you can actually bring your attention to your attention, <laughs> right? And so when these when these events happen, it's just it, your attention just merely focuses on it, right? And it's interesting if you can pull yourself back enough to realize, do I really need to dedicate 100% of my attention to this thing that just arised? Like, is that really going to help the situation? Maybe I only need to give it 1% of my attention and I need to focus this elsewhere, right? In Because as a business owner, there's a gazillion things in the landscape of your business. And there's lots of things that are drawing your attention to it, okay? But as a successful leader... You have to draw. You you have to be in control of where your attention's going, right? You don't want you don't want your attention just drawn to you know, um, you know things that just don't need your attention. Let's say. Mm-hmm. Tony Robbins famously said, "Where your attention goes, your energy flows." Yeah, so there you, you be go. Very right? very careful what you focus it's, on. It's 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 yeah. It's it's a hundred percent. John, I, I think that was I think that was great. I actually kind of just became present to that uh, really really closely thinking about. Uh, there's a lot of mindfulness in that, you know, like being aware, yeah, yeah, being aware of your, where your attention is. And I kind of look at this and I think I've described this maybe before here, but the ability to do that and put your attention on where your attention's going is kind of like the difference between being in the middle of a crowded room, trying to have a conversation with four different people at a party versus just walking up the staircase and overlooking the room from the balcony and just kind of watching the conversations take place and kind of just observing what's going on and actually being present to the entire party as opposed to trying to have 17 conversations at once, right? And sometimes I feel like in my head, I develop this feeling that I talk a lot with my coach about scramble-mindedness is is the term I've kind of keep using. Like when I'm in a spot like I am right now, right? It's like kind of we've been preparing for the storm. Now we're in the storm, you know, like we're all trying to grow our businesses up to the point we're in late June, July and August. We're just having a really uh, sustainable system for production. So, you know, this is what I call the busiest time of the year, in my opinion. Uh, and I often catch myself with this, these feelings of scramble mindedness and not actually asking myself that question. Where's my attention at? Is that, and, and the question you asked John was, is this the best thing for the situation for me to give all my attention to this? I, I, I hadn't asked myself that question in a while. Mm. Well, famous, I uh, think that, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Famous general manager of baseball, Billy Bean, the focus of the book and the movie Moneyball, was so good at this concept that he had made a rule that he was to never watch any of the baseball games. Yeah. He it would just only, wasn't worth it, right, for him? He would only focus on managing, putting together the right people, looking at the numbers, and just focusing on the quote-unquote profits of his baseball team, which is the win. Oh, man, I never pieced that together, and that's one of my favorite movies. 
Right. Well, do you know what's interesting is that that really uh, messes with Warren my Buffett head. I've watched that movie like seven times. Financial statements. <laughs> Sorry, John. Well, just Warren Buffett would typically only look at the financial statements. Yeah. Like he didn't need to go see the company. You don't have to look meet the employees. You don't have to sit down with the board. You just look at the numbers. And that's actually all I did in my business. I would, whenever uh, like a big problem would arise, I would just ask myself, how much is this affecting my profit? That's all where my focus was. It made things a lot calmer to like handle. So that's one way. Although interesting enough, though, I mean, there's there's also, I mean, there's there's upsides and downsides to a lot of things. Like, did like did you encounter any downsides to just focusing on the profit? Uh, not not that I can pick out right now. Because like one like because like one thing that I sometimes catch myself in when when focusing merely on profit is that sometimes I sort of forget. Let's say like the um, human factor. Well, you could call it the human factor. I don't really like that term for yeah. some reason. Like, it doesn't really quite ring with me. But essentially, there's some things that when you're looking at a, the financials of a job that you can get caught into, like, trying to make certain things a certain way uh, as far as how much money you make. When in reality, when you actually get to the job site and you realize, oh, okay. Like, like for example, the budget's the budget, right? But sometimes when you actually get there on the job site and you're actually sitting there with your guy and you're looking at it with him, you're like, mm, fair enough. Like this should be different, right? There is oh, those, totally. those those things yeah. that can get lost. There's so, nuance to this, right? I'm yeah. not saying sit at home, just stare at your screen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, yeah. Um, actually, there was like a um, Franklin Roosevelt talked about this as well, but how like you know a lot of times when when people are uh, like politicians are only in Washington, okay, and and they're doing <laughs> all of their you know yes. all their politics there, they can sort of lose track of like their what actual. Matters. Yeah, what like the, the the people they're actually serving back like in their actual contingency, mm-hmm. right? So it's like he, his saying was like you can't run, you can't be a politician only in Washington. You actually have to go back. You have to go see your people. You have to go in those villages. You have to go in those towns and actually mm-hmm. speak to people and see what their real problems are and actually solve those. Like that's that's like what you should be doing, not just playing the political game mm-hmm. here in Washington. There was an interview with uh, I think it was Rick Ross, where he was being criticized for writing rap songs about being in the hood without having been in the hood for like many years right so, uh, he's like, like do you actually know how, how bad it is yeah, and, yeah. and he's like well you know you know i don't, I don't know how rick ross talks I forgot. He, he can just link this podcast to his defense <laughs> yeah That's he was hilarious. like doing a book tour for his book but uh yeah focus is key austin when's the last time you meditated uh january mm. John, when is the last time you meditated? <laughs> Just answer the question. Oh, he's frozen. Oh, you're talking to me? Yeah, yeah John, when was the last oh, time so you, you meditated? Oh, I didn't, I didn't hear the name John. <laughs> oh, <my God. laughs> yeah, sorry, I didn't, I didn't hear that. Um, like right before, the, like, maybe like 35 minutes ago. Yeah. Austin, do you see like a, because I need to start adding a structure to this as well. Mm-hmm. So I'm having a conversation with myself as, as well now. Mm-hmm. Well, you, what's interesting is that, and I actually talked about this on the podcast uh, that I did with uh, Chris Thompson, who I feel like is just ducking me out at this point, by the way, like low key, like a little, no. little, little blow to Chris he Thompson. He wouldn't, he wouldn't. <laughs> you know. What did you do? What do you mean? To, to feel like you've been ducked yeah, by Chris yeah. Thompson. He's the last person I mean, I pop, I'm to pop duck off anybody. 800,000 here and we're not, there's not even, a, there's not even an at mention over here. Well, you didn't <laughs> produce it. That's why like 800 is 800. No, what do you mean? I produced 800 no, last year. No, last year. Oh, you're talking about last year. 
Well, like, just we're make all a request. Like records and no, like, yeah, Dude, he would one hundred percent have you on. Okay, Come point on, being man. though, on the original interview that I did with him, okay, uh, I was talking about this about how there's like the there's the formal practice of like you, you know you're sitting down, you're you 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 know you're becoming mindful, you're doing your you know whatever you know type of meditation you're, you're yeah, trying yeah. to practice for the day, okay, and there's all different types, okay. Yeah. But of course, like the same way that when you go to the gym. Okay, or you read a book, like, like there's the formal practice of reading, there's the, you know, you're going to go to the gym, you're going to do a bicep curl, okay, but at some point in time, you're actually going to use those biceps, hopefully, okay, yeah. or you're reading that book, and hopefully you actually encounter a situation where you actually are going to, like, you know, like, recently I was reading, I was rereading the book uh, by Chris Voss, you know, uh, Never Split the Difference, yeah. right, and, you know, there's, in that book, he talks about mirroring, well, when you finish reading the book and then you go and live your life, hopefully you actually start mirroring, right? Mm-hmm. And so when you when you when you're when you're doing your formal practice of meditation, it's something that you can literally practice anytime. Like a client can be yelling at you and you could practice meditation right then and there, right? By like what? Focusing on their nose or something? No, you could you well you could you could practice mindfulness, I should say. Oh, okay. You can become mindful of the conversation. Like you don't have to you know, get into your emotions, have your attention narrowed down and get into this like weird kind of like defensive nature and start arguing and things like that. You can just simply absorb and then boom, you can start mirroring the client and then that kind of gives you a bit more time to get it more present. And then now you're mirroring them. Now you can be a little bit more empathetic. And then when you're empathetic, you can be, you know, you you can kind of go from there, right? Kind of all ties in together. Whereas if you didn't have mindfulness, how the hell are you going to remember to do mirroring? (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty true. It's interesting. It's almost like the it's almost like the it's like the doorway to accessing the higher like because like I don't know I don't know I don't I'm not a You're neuroscientist not but like but yeah no 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 I'm not a neuroscientist but like I don't know where our information like when I read a book I don't know where it's stored but I do I'm pretty confident at least that it's not stored on the lower part of my brain where I'm super emotional. It's usually you know it's something that's you know I can access yeah. when I'm in a clear state of mind, right? Like I wonder what or, parts of the brain are accessed during mindfulness and 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 essentially reframing yeah, a perspective. I'm gonna look that up. But Amber, you know, one, yeah, Amber, one of the big things you talk about is having a clear mind when you go into an estimate or into a sales mm, call yes, or. Yes, yes. You know, what, I mean, really, I mean, is there anything you wouldn't want a clear mind going into? I mean, probably everything, right? Very true. Yeah. Yeah. Why? <laughs> yeah. Because you're going to perform better, right? Because <laughs> you're probably going to do things that are more complex, right? Yeah. You eliminate like all these biases that exist. But I find it, there's like two parts to mindfulness. It's actually being mindful. But then there's the other part of trying to like check your ego. And I think those are like two different processes. I don't know what process you can checking do. Checking your ego versus Yeah, like how do you how do you check your ego successfully? And consistently. Can you like can you give an example of when you didn't check your ego? Um uh, yeah, like yesterday, one of my uh I was telling one of my friends about like a side goal that I want to accomplish before the end of the year, which was like I want to do uh like stand-up comedy in front of a crowd. I want to have my own set with all original jokes and bits. I think that's like the epitome of public speaking and I think I can do it but like it's coming up with jokes super hard. Um I think you and, can do it too honestly. Oh, thanks man. Thank you. Um but it, I, we were having that conversation and then my friend was like saying, "Oh man, I think you should like break down that goal into like 
10 small mini steps where you try like pick a friend and then tell him jokes and test it on them and then go and, and, and meet with, you know, two friends and then try, you know, maybe when you're hanging out with a group of friends telling them something and then try maybe a stranger that you just met. And I'm like, no, I mean, I can just jump straight to like step 10. Like, I don't, I don't know. I, I see no reason to, to do these small things. And then I caught myself. I'm like, hold on. That's actually my ego talking. This is a great idea. There's no reason for me to resist it. But I was able to catch it. But I wonder how many other times do I not catch these things? And how do I, you know, trying to think of a better way to... Why do you think that... Like, what makes you think that that was your ego speaking? Yeah, I was confused about that as well. Well, well, because what I was internally thinking when he was saying that is like, oh, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Or, oh, like, I'm way better than that. I don't need to take it slow. Yeah, okay, I suppose that aspect, yeah. But, I mean, maybe he didn't know what he was talking about. I don't know. No, but that's good advice. Like, looking at it black and white. There's no negatives to, you know, testing your jokes to the big stage instead of just going to the big stage and bombing, you know? Well, I mean, I think, like... I think the easiest way to catch your ego is merely just, like, like before you when, you... when you go to act on something, okay... Just ask where that's coming, like, wh- like where's that action deriving from, right? So, for example, if, uh, oh man, if, if I'm, if I'm like, you know, like in a huge hurry, okay, and I, and I, and I see there's a huge lineup, okay, and I'm like, you know what, fuck it, I'm just gonna skip this line, right? Oh, dude. And then I'm like, well, hold on, wait, why am I gonna do that? Like, do I really, like, am I doing that because I just think I'm way superior to these people? I deserve more than them. It's like, hmm. It's not really a good reason to skip line, right? Like the skipping line is kind of a, you know, like I like I should really just just go to the back of the line. I should just wait like everyone else. Like why am I special, right? Like that's like that's you could check yourself there, right? But some people don't. Sure, some sure. people cut line and say fuck you. Sure. That's what I'm doing, right? Like some people do that. So awesome. just to just to break that down a little bit more, Amber, I actually don't think that you disagreeing with him or whatever friend told you about the comedy strategy is rooted in ego at all. I, no, I no, but it, it was because that's the emotion that was bubbling inside me was one of like ego. It was literally me like, well, oh, were you like, thinking I'm better like, than this guy. Okay, what so, does he know? Oh, okay, 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 okay. Yeah, that's where it was coming from. Okay, I'm so like, it was no, about like, like... This guy has never told a joke in his life. It, like, it, what does it. he know? Okay. But like, that's totally But you could just disagree with him and not have it be rooted in ego like John Dude, said. Dude, of but yeah, okay, course. Okay, 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 yeah, okay. not every time you disagree, right? But but sometimes that's not enough to know where it's coming from. And I'll tell you this, this is the, probably the most challenging thing I've ever done in my life. And it's, uh, it, it's I, I stopped collecting CRB. I was doing so many mental gymnastics on, on why I should still collect CERB because you know, my, you know, my business still starting, you know, it's being, you know, my, my ideal customer base are contractors and they're sitting at home cause there's lockdown. Some of them, they can't even do work. And you know, that, that's affecting their income, which is affecting my income. And and then I'm also like, also like this whole program is just broken. Like, you know, they don't, you know, and the government, I'm going to pay that back either way through my taxes. It was just like a lot of mental gymnastics and yeah. ego. And then, I, and then I was had a conversation with one of my friends and he's like, look, dude, if you just look at what the requirements of CRB are, CERB, just read it. And it literally says, this program is meant for people who have lost their jobs because of COVID, who um, have lost more than 50% of their income because of COVID, 
who have been laid off or had less work because of COVID, that is meant for them. And yes, there are people who don't deserve it. I know some people who make over 200, 250,000 a year who play with their books so that they can collect it. So in my mind, it's like the amount of people that are already doing that. So, you know, what's, I'm taking all the money. I'm not even paying it for myself. I'm just, I'm, you know, I'm helping my mom financially and I'm helping my family and I'm helping this business. It's not even me benefiting, it's my client. So much mental gymnastics where if you actually sat down and I asked myself, where was this emotion coming from? I could have easily said it was coming through pure logic and rationality. But then at the end of the day, I had this, you know, straight up conversation with my friend and who was like, look, man, if you just really think about it, this is out of integrity. And it's your decision now on, on whether you want to be in integrity or out of integrity. And I just looked at it and I'm like, oh, shit. Okay, no, this is pretty straightforward, you know, and I'm just not going to do this anymore because it wasn't laid out because it was so my decision making was so shrouded in like ego because ego is so good at hiding itself. Right. So. Um, that was probably one of the biggest things that I, you know, I'm kind of proud of myself for, for doing this. And I actually have put a plan together for every dollar that I've collected from Serb, I'm going to donate to a charity down the line. So um, all that money is going to get paid back one way or another. Obviously, I can't pay back for the inflation that I've caused. Um, and I take responsibility for that. And it has been a weak move for me as a man to do this. And that has also effects. But I'm here now and it's like, holy shit, like this was my ego just doing some crazy men mental gymnastics yeah. uh, for the sake of money. And I was just living in a place of scarcity because my ego just didn't allow me to not have a consistent stream of income. So I really want a way to to be able to maybe every quarter or maybe once a year look at my decision making and actually see, okay, well, was this ego? Like, what, how do I do actually think, do um, Do you think that it held back your business? Yes, of course. Are you kidding me? That's one of the reasons I mentioned like the impact it had on me. It made me comfortable. It made me feel like, oh, you know what? Even if you don't hit our numbers, I still, you know, there's still that money covering some of the basics. Of course. Yeah. I feel dirty even talking about this. Mm -hmm. I, I feel disappointed in myself that it took me this long to realize. But it was this one friend of mine, shout out James Fedick who was just basically like, hold on a second here. Uh, what are you doing? Now, mind you, I've had this conversation with um, easily 40 to 50 people. Every single one of them is like, yeah, man, screw the government. You're overthinking it. Take the money. Only two people in my life stood against this. You know, like I brought this up to my, like my mom and dad. And like my dad was like offended that I brought this up. He's like, what do you mean? You're going to pay back this in taxes? Um, this money is already meant for you. If you just look at what your business partner paid in taxes, you're just basically collecting from that pool, right? And there's a lot of like, you know, decent, decent arguments out there. But it was the only two people that like really stood out. And, you know, I would even add you. So three people would be that, that stand against this firmly was Austin, John and James. That's everybody out of a, now there's probably more in my life that I haven't had this conversation with who share this common opinion, but I'm just ashamed. I'm just ashamed that it took me this long and uh, I need a system to prevent myself from going down the line of making such a, um, a catastrophic error in my strategy. Yeah. Well, it's pretty interesting because, you know, I, and, and we're going to kind of maybe rehash, you know, some of the conversation we already had, but do you, do you remember when we were talking, like when, when SERP first came out and I, and I was kind of talking about how, you know, uh, if I, you know, we're going to get a little bit of political here, but how, if, if the government, uh, what because like, I mean back to the kind of FDR thing about how they're in they're in Ottawa right it's not a local thing anymore 
right? Like whoever, like when 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 the government's sending out these serb checks, they're not actually meeting you, right? Like it's no longer a local local thing. Like like if there was a um, like a soup bank, okay, that was set up, we would all see all of the people in line to get their soup. And if I drove by and I saw Amra, I'd say, "What the fuck?" So and true. I'd get man. Out of my, I'd it pull over so and I'd easy. get on my car. I'd pull out and I'd get over my car and I'd probably walk over and I'd be like, "What are you doing?" Like, and, we, and we'd have a conversation and I'd be like, "No, what the fuck are you doing, man?" Like, we're two, our country's two trillion dollars in debt. In debt. There's More. there's over for every yeah. for every no no no. I think it's I think it's just under two trillion. Oh, cool, mother. We we have. For every baby, man, child, you know, and for every living, breathing person in Canada, we have fifty thousand dollars in debt assigned to each of us, like for our country. Like we are significantly in debt, right? And like that's a that's a real thing. But if 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 it was like uh, if it was down to the family, okay, like let's say there was no government and it was literally just you know an economy of eight of us, right? And Austin, let's say you come to, and you come to Amber and I, and you're like, hey, dude, guys, I need some money, right? I'm, I'm struggling, right? We'd be like, oh, sure. You're a responsible guy. We gave it to you. Now, if the next day I saw you in the club popping bottles, <laughs> right? And then you came to me the next week for money, I'd say, dude, you get get lost, yeah. right? But but that but there's no accountability. There's no there's none of that with with what's going on currently with with the CRB because why? Because it's an anonymous thing. No one has to, you know, you, you know, everyone can live in the shadows, right? Like Amory, you know, you felt, um, you know, you felt uh, all of the shame, right? When, when the realization hit, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, Amory, like, I, I really do get what you're saying, and I think it's pretty admirable that you spoke out and, and acknowledged yourself for it, because I think that the people who I know, at least, maybe on. I can maybe think of like five people off the top of my head that are were kind of in a similar position as you where it was it was mental gymnastics rationalization for CRB um the deep down if they were to listen to what you just said Emmer they would also have to agree with the fact that they aren't in integrity right so there is always like this like if they heard somebody say that like I remember talking to my coach, Patrick, last May, around this time last year, actually. And I had taken uh, two or three installments of CRB when it came out because, well, I mean, I think a lot of people did, but not to normalize my behavior. I just took it because I, I was pretty assumptu- assumptuous that I wasn't going to run a bi- sizable business at all. And took um, it because you took it. Sorry? I said you took it because you took it. Yeah, exactly. There's no rationalization. So it got to a point, though, where things started to turn around in the residential market. Houses were selling. People people were, were not short on cash and putting it into their house, right? And we were booking up faster than ever in May. And I think the CERB renewal was like the third week of the month. So I think it was actually like one year ago today. And I remember being in a meeting with Patrick and being like, hey, like just before you go, what are you doing with CERB? Like, you know, are you still taking CERB? What are you doing? And he's like, no, man, look at our look at our trajectories. Like, uh, we're going to do great this year. It's going to be awesome. Like, you know, we're, we're through the dark part of the pandemic. I think we're really going to come out of this 
amazing. Like, and we ended up having our best year ever, by the way. And, and he was like, no, I'm not taking it. And I was like, okay, well, what if I took it? And I was like, again, I was, I was having that like internal battle with myself a little bit. Cause I was like, oh, it's two grand. And he's like, Austin, do you think that you'll earn over, you know, and he knows my income goal. He's like, based on these trajectories, like, do you think you'd earn X? And I'm like, yeah, I don't see why not. He's like, well, what do you think it says about yourself if you take a free handout on top of that? And I was like, all right, fair enough, right? And then that just stopped me in my tracks and I've had conversations with people. Now, keep in mind, like, John and I run businesses now where people are, we're, we're competing with the fucking government. Like, people are leaving working with us to go take this. So it's like, we're trying to have conversations with people about this as well. Like, hey, what are the impacts of you going and quitting an actual job to take money? Now, Amber, of course, that isn't you. And I'm long-windedly trying to say, I appreciate you calling yourself out for it. However, I think everybody who ever took CERB at some point had that ma- mental gymnastics conversation with themselves. And I don't think anybody's better, like I don't think anybody's wrong or right for when it, the conversation happened, as long as it did happen. That's all. Mm. Yeah, it was just a... Uh... Yeah, I'm, I'm just glad to be where I am now, you know? Yeah. yeah. And um, boys... Am I stressed out? I got to tell you. Okay. You know, because now I got to make money, right? Well, put your attention where your attention is. Does it make sense for you to be focusing on this? Well, it, <laughs> but it's totally the case, man. Like, yeah. like it's like, it's like, it's like. The, but I don't say it as a bad thing, by the way. The stress is not the, bad. Yeah. Well, of course not. Because now, now you actually, you know, you, you got to go you know kill what you eat right and and you know it's like it's like the the kid who lives in his parents basement right and it's like if you if you if he doesn't have to pay rent and he just you know goes upstairs and just cook you know warm food each day and he's got you know toilet paper and whatnot i mean <laughs> and he's got internet he's gonna he's just he's that's what he's gonna do he has no he, he, he has a, he's a perfect safety net right and i think that um you know i mean you know with what's going on with at least with the canadian government i mean you know they, they are probably our largest competitor right now in the labor force or in, in the labor market sorry and it's the the labor prices are artificially being bid up because we're having to bid against the government choosing to send out money to people who now are are put in a super difficult position and, the, and there's no moral judgment per se here because i can understand the temptation to take a little bit extra money right and if if i was uh, a reasonably uneducated low-skilled laborer okay and i had the choice between two thousand i think 1600 bucks a month now with tax-free okay 1600 bucks a month and i get to sit at home or do whatever i want to do play pickleball play tennis you know do whatever you're going to do or i'm going to go work a job and you know because I'm a low skill laborer, I might go make, you know, after taxes, two grand a month, but then of course all the hidden costs to a job. And on top of my, I actually have to dedicate my time to it. No shit. What do you mean? Who the fuck would ever go to work other than like the most industrious, the most integrous and the, the cream of the crop, which don't, you know, I mean, like, you know, unless someone's on a, you know, high upper trajectory, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it, it's, it seems to be. It seems like it, it. You. It's asking a lot of our citizens to make that choice, 
right? And I don't think that anyone should ever be put in that choice, right? In, in the first place. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't, I don't even necessarily blame the citizens. I blame the government. Yeah. No, like, I, 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 I'm I with you there, John. Yeah. Like, right. But now, I mean, is there, is there obviously, does there have to be personal responsibility? Yeah. Right. I mean, you know, like I, I can't. I mean, I can, I can see where it's coming from. Um, you know, like a, a, it didn't even occur to me. Like not even, not even for a split second. It wasn't even, it wasn't even a thought. Right. So there's, there's, there's obviously there's, there's a spectrum, right? Like there's some people who didn't even think about it at all. Some people who thought about it, decided no. Some people who did it, you know, Austin like yourself. Some people wrote it right to the very end. Some people are still on it, right? You know, there's some people, I, you know, I know many situations where there's a husband, for example, who makes a tremendous amount of money. The wife doesn't Could work and now it. she's on it. Yeah. yeah, so now she's on it. Like it's, it's, and it's, it's, it's kind of fucked really. Like it's really fucked. Like mm-hmm. it's super awkward because like I can't emphasize enough we're two trillion dollars in debt but here's like the thing country. john people like, that's hear pretty that? fucked people like, hear that, but what are money. the consequences of that well see the thing is is that like um let's talk about the south sea bubble okay in england we'll talk about let's talk about this so here here's an example of like situations where what's the consequences right mm-hmm. so let's let's kind of talk about this so Basically, you have England who had just come off 30 years of war, okay, and they didn't uh, fund the war through taxes, which would be like kind of like a financially responsible way of doing things. They borrowed a lot of uh, money, okay, and m- m- through the sale of war bonds, etc. okay, you know, I'm sure that, you know, there was probably some wealthy banking family that probably lent money point being there so there's a 30-year war they're in tons and tons of debt and um they want to solve their problem i think it was king richard uh, who was trying who, who was the king of the time and so what he did this is like uh fifth like late 1500s 1600s and so there's this guy named john law and he opens up this company called the south sea company okay and the, the company was kind of like a like financial wizardry at the time, which take in mind, I mean, financial literacy wasn't really, you know, at its peak here. So this is, this is going to sound insane, but this really happened. So the way the company was structured, it was a joint stock company, which was a new thing, which now we would just call a, a corporation essentially, but this is a new thing at the time. Okay. A joint stock company. Um, so it was the first time that, you know, the average person could actually go and buy a share in a company, let's say, okay. On the stock exchange. And the company, what, what it, the way it was set up, was that one, it had a, had had a monopoly on all of the uh, trade in South America for England, which is a big deal. Okay, now take in mind they hadn't started trading there, so they had the, they had the monopoly on something that didn't quite exist yet. Okay, but one day maybe could. Then what happened was the government essentially transferred all of its debt over to this company. Okay, and then through the form of you know taxation, which it was already doing, it made interest payments on that debt. Okay, which is just wild. That's so basically, insane. this instead so this of just company, using the money they had, they took out a loan and paid interest on it. Is the long form of that story? Well, no, they basically transferred the ownership of the debt to this company. Okay, and then they they they, they paid interest payments to the company for it. it it's really messed. Okay. And this now, this so now this company had income, okay, but it's it's so it, it's just you know so anyway so they started selling shares of this of the South Sea Company with 
you know, hey, we, we can, you know, we have this debt, yes, but we're also going to be able to go to South America. We have all this income from the government, you know, and everyone's sort of buying this um, shares in this company, okay, at $100 a piece. And then people who had uh, the IOUs from the government originally were able to trade two for one for one share of, uh, of um, $100 essentially in debt, okay? And like even Isaac Newton, who is, you know, obviously you guys, you know, highly intelligent, even he invested his life savings in this company and he actually doubled his money, right? And, and anyway, so everyone's buying up and buying up these these shares, you know, thinking that it's going to go to the moon and everyone and everyone's getting super rich and, you know, you know, similar to Bitcoin, actually, in a way, um, you know, the average, like some, you know, really pedestrian people were retiring, you know, people were tearing down their big houses, rebuilding bigger houses, you know, school teachers were retiring, you know, like the, the word millionaire, okay, was actually coined during this time. Okay, that's how rich people were getting on paper from this. But of course, no, because people were so firmly believed in actually holding the company, because one day they, you know, become like the largest, you know, trading company, people were then, so the, the um, asset price at one, at one point got to like $1,000, okay? And it got to the point where the, like the new shares they were issuing, so new subscriptions, like John Law for the South Sea Company, they were issuing them with payment terms of like, you know, payment plans, okay? So they say, okay, it's $1,000 a share, you put 10% down and you pay $100 every, you know, every month or, you know, every couple months until you can own the share outright, which is just insane. Like imagine buying Apple shares on a payment plan, like that's insane, right? Um, but then all these other joint stock companies also started. Almost kind of like an alternative currency, maybe, you know, like, you know, like there's Bitcoin, there's alt altcoins, maybe something like that. Anyway, all these other uh, joint stock companies all came up at the same time because people wanted to cash in on this sort of this new wave of speculation and there was, you know, riches just, you know, peering out of the air. Everyone was getting rich, right? What could possibly go wrong? What are the consequences? What's the harm in, in partaking, right? Everyone else is getting rich. Why can't I? There was all this sense of, you know, all, all these strong emotions of no one wants to miss out, like fearing of missing out. Everyone wants to get rich as well. How the hell would you feel if your neighbor who, you know, wasn't, you know, maybe you were more, more well off than him, all of a sudden he subscribed to this thing. Now he's super rich. He's, he's built a bigger house, right? So John Law, seeing that now there was increased competition in the stock exchange with these other joint stock companies, he lobbied the government to then basically ban the sale of all privately held joint stock companies, except for the South Sea Company, thinking that that would increase the subscription rate, um, you know, in, in the purchasing rate of the South Sea Company. Well, it totally backfired. He wasn't being very mindful. He lost, he got totally, you know, in the forest, lost the whole, or in the trees, totally lost sense of the forest. Because what happened was when these other companies, when they, when they, when all of the shareholders couldn't sell their stock, okay, they had a liquidity problem because they had all, so they were borrowing against their South Sea shares to buy all these other joint stock company shares but of course, they have to make payments on that debt. So when all these other companies, now they can't liquidate their other shares, they, everyone was forced to sell the South Sea Company all at the same time. And it completely collapsed the market. And, and it fucking, it burst the bubble like you've never seen. Everyone lost their savings, basically. The yeah, people who cashed out early, fine. But everyone basically lost their savings. And it was to the point where, like, John Law, like, basically, like, pitchforks and, like, you know, flame, right? But what's the consequences, right? Everyone's getting rich. Well... Eventually, it all comes crashing down. 
right? Like this lifestyle that we all face right now in Canada, where we all just think everything's fucking like amazing. Like this is gonna, like this has to stop. Like the party will stop eventually, right? Like we're not gonna, we're not gonna continue getting like, you know, above 10% returns in the stock market. We're not, our businesses probably aren't going to, you know, continue growing at some astronomical rate every year. Like eventually we have to stop consuming and actually start producing something, right? Like it's, it's, it's kind of fucked. And, and when we have a whole section, like, I think it was like something like, uh, like one third of the population, uh, uh, of the working population took SERP, right? I think it was like 8 million people or something like that, right? That's insane, right? And that, that will have ramifications in ways that, you know, none of it's gonna be crazy, right? Through inflation, um, and we were already seeing it, right? I mean, with the labor market. I mean, I don't know about you, Austin, but I mean, labor rates are pretty ridiculous right now. Yeah. And paint costs are going to, I've already been told from many paint reps, paint costs are going to go up dramatically next year, mm-hmm. right? They would have raised, they would have risen them more this year if they could, but I think there was a bit of a, you know, a bit of a, you know, a business move there where they're like, okay, we're only going to raise it, you know, a certain amount. Mm-hmm. Like our, ours came up on average 4%, mm-hmm. but, you know, I've been talking to some paint reps saying it's come up 30%. Like there's some serious things that are going to happen in the market well, that, just to, you know. Just to touch on that, John, is that the way that you just answered my question of what are the consequences, and it just so happened that this story about, uh, what would you say it was the English government? Yeah, I was at England at the time, South so, Sea Company. So yeah, so the South Sea Company, and it kind of turned politics into a business. Like that was actually their strategy was to take this economical uh, state and turn it in tr- and try to defend through a corporation. Now, oh yeah, John Law was a hero. He turned debt into no, wealth. No, I know, I know. But I just for what I'm trying to say is I have a newfound appreciation for, uh, I guess, politicians and their decision making, and I guess the the timeline that they're given to make these decisions are very similar to what I've realized in, in terms of actual business environments, right? So I had, a, uh, I had an estimate this weekend with the, uh, the liberal, well, in, in my turf of operation in, in Western Quebec, where I live and where my business operates, it's a liberal riding. And I had an estimate with the liberal MP and, uh, who lives in Chelsea. And he was, and I was just asking him about what it's like being a liberal MP during uh the well this this time during the covid and he's like you know austin there's one thing i've learned in the past year is or the past three years well no he's actually been in office for i think over four years but he said there's just one thing after the other whether it's a pandemic and and actually the area that we live in was drastically impacted by a huge flood in 2017 uh and that would totally wiped out areas of our of our region um and then two years later covid hits he's like well you know i've realized that it doesn't matter what we prepare ourselves for in in his words where shit's just gonna happen and we as politicians uh have to make decisions very fast in terms of how we're going to protect our communities and our people and all we really try and do is defend against the worst possible outcome and then learn as we move forward so like for example they took the stance of, and obviously this one person I'm talking to didn't make the call on the $2,000 every month subsidy, right? But he said, you know, like, of course, there's a ton of backlash against the $2,000 a month CERB from a lot of employers and a lot of regular people. And 
he's like, well, uh, sure, maybe it was like, maybe there was a better way to do this. But by the time it happens again, all of us will be retired or dead and it'll just happen again. Right. And, and it's just the idea that they're doing the best they can to, to essentially Paul, their stance is just to try and defend against the worst possible outcome. How can we defend against yeah. the worst possible outcome in the short term? I guess you could say, right? In the short term, yeah. And and they accomplished it because nobody was hurting during COVID. I mean, psychologically, there may have been impacts that people were hurting. Well, with, but so you, you know what I mean, though. Like, and I'm not, well, and I'm not no, trying I, to argue I, you, John. I'm just saying, like, this is well, what no, but from, but that, yeah. but that's not actually true, though. Like, like, uh, it's that's like that's like the person who. Um, you know, can't afford their rent, so they borrow money from their boss. Like, th- like it's not like that's no, not dude. actually. You're not you're not better off. I know, like, but you're, you're actually worse but the, off. They now, were now they you were have scared debt, about you have like, for example to to com- And I'm again just kind of like going back and forth here from that perspective, not from my own. Is okay, great. So you don't put a stimulus in place so that Bob can pay his rent, so he doesn't have anybody to borrow from. Great. Now Bob's well. But the reason why, but the reason why Bob can't borrow money is because I'm having to pay taxes to the government that I that I would normally be able to lend out to friends and family. That's why. Like, it, like if I wasn't, like if 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 we weren't paying close to fifty percent tax as a high income earner, right? Mm-hmm. Then that money would go elsewhere. It would it would be able to it would be able to go to you know people who need it locally. Like as in like if if I have a friend who's actually suffering, I can then maybe say, hey, you know what? I'm yeah, that's fair. But now I, I guess there's so no, you can help me out later. Yeah, I guess there's no actual structure to that. But yes, I do agree with you. Like in theory, that would work. Like what, what, even the fact that the government is like it, I find it super weird that we that, that like as a country we just we like and even as a society we just have gotten to a place now where it's like the government's like our sugar daddy. It's kind of it's, yeah, it's no, just I know, really I know, weird. I know. Like, why are we even remotely? My my point of bringing this expectation. up. My point of bringing this up was just that. What I heard you say, John, was that they in, in the English government a long time ago. They, tried to develop a system that would protect, or or at least at the time seemed like an, a structure that could protect them against a negative outcome, right? And it totally yeah, well, backfired. I mean, okay, now you could almost compare it to Serb because it has backfired in many ways. Huge impacts on employers. Huge impacts on people's just like you know will to to work, and a massive impact on just how people treat their work ethic. And there's so many impacts. Okay, and and national debt aside, it just seems like it, history had kind of repeated itself a little bit. That's all I'm trying to say. And and governments i guess well, you can see tend to take the stance of how can we how can we avoid the most amount of short-term hurt right? yeah well like I, I you know i'm i'm a pretty firm believer like you know sam harris talks about this how like you know there's there's you know there's not that many bad people really in the world it's 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 most likely reasonably good people who just have bad ideas and they act on those bad ideas mm-hmm. right and one of the bad ideas that we really have right now is big government <laughs> right and and what you were saying about how there's, you know, how you have this, this politician was saying how there's always another crisis, right? There's always another crisis, right? Mm-hmm. Well, every time there's a new crisis, the government gets larger. And I've very rarely does the government ever really get smaller. Right. And if they're constantly getting larger and larger and larger and larger, I mean, that's more and more expense. I mean, 
it's not <laughs> like, but like that we, as a society, we've just, that that's just been the norm. Like we're just okay with that. Like that's as in no one's ever questioned, Hey, how come when I buy something, how, why am I paying 12% tax in BC on, on the purchase? How come the guy that I'm paying has to then pay, you know, taxes on, on, you know, not, he has to pay his employees that are collecting all the payments and then they have to pay all these different payroll uh, deductions, all these different, you know, he's paid the WorkSafe BC, all these different regulations involved with even having the store, property tax. I mean, every aspect of the chain is just getting cashed, 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 and we don't question anymore. Like it's just, it's just, it's just a fact of life. Like that, we, we there's, there's been no questioning of this whatsoever. We just, it's, it's, we're completely normalized to it. I agree. And and it's, and it's, it, but because we've been normalized to it. And we just, it's the government's like this, this, this mysterious thing that we're all like, no, it's like, they're, they're, an, they're a business. Like they're another company that's on the playing field and they're supposed to be a referee, but right now they're, they're more of a player in the game. And that, that other company is paying people to sit at home. Yeah. There's like, there's garbage like on my roads. Like we, like if we were going to pay serve, I mean, I would have like, <laughs> yeah. we could have been doing trash pickup. Like we, <laughs> like there's things we could have been doing here, like with, our, with, with our money as a country, right? There's so many things we've been doing. Right. But you know, I mean, ultimately you know, these things are more complex than I'm sure what a 25 year old male can, you know, or you know, not that I'm not the male has anything to do with that. 25 year old has anything to do with it. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure there's more complex than this, but it does seem like, just from a very idiotic standpoint that like from a very naive standpoint that it's pretty wild the way that we have things set up currently. And I'm super curious to find out how this is going to work out. Cause it seems like we, we couldn't have been any more ill-equipped for what happened. And, and it seems like we've really, dug, we, we dug a hole for ourselves even quicker. Yes. That was our solution. Yeah. What I took away from this conversation is how important it is to study history. Oh my God. I know. And the other thing I took away from it is kind of an opportunity. There is an opportunity in the near future, call it 5, 10, 15 years, where uh, all this prosperity turns on its head and we're going to be in a, in a deep, deep recession. And uh, I think a lot of people that listen to this podcast are in a position where they run businesses who have the ability to save up cash to invest in the right vehicles. And uh, I'm just saying that there's probably in the next five to 10 years an opportunity to double, triple, maybe 10X your wealth if you are just practicing good, intelligent business moves and not relying on, you know, the shiny object syndrome. That's what I'm taking away. Well, it's like Max Warburg uh, said in the 1920s, right? Uh, which is, of course, was the Roaring Twenties, which then led into the Dirty Thirties. Dirty Thirties. Right? This, this is pre-crash. <laughs> yep. And, you know, Max's quote was fantastic. He said, uh, so I'm going to paraphrase slightly. He's like, he's like, uh, be, be cautious uh, during boom times, especially when they're, um, uh, the, the, it's false prosperity. It's prosperity that's backed by inflated asset prices and extended credit. And ultimately, um, you know, the world is consuming more than it's producing and that will eventually have to get rectified. For the past five years, he thought, the world had consumed more than it produced, creating inflationary uh, pressures. Now governments were printing money instead of submitting to needed austerity. The world lives in a fool's paradise. 
based upon fictitious wealth, rash promises, and mad illusions, he said. We must be aware of booms based on false prosperity, which has its roots in inflated, in inflated credits and prices. And this is a quote from the Warburgs, the 20th century odyssey of a remarkable Jewish family. Is that By the one Ron I sent you? The, the, sure the, the, now. The, Hell yeah, it was. Yeah, see, that, dude, that quote is so fat Ooh. and so perfectly timed. He, there's another quote that was like right after that where he's like, he's like, during any boom, you should always meditate on past crises. Yeah, yeah, yeah. boys this this might be like this is the opportunity i see you know it's well i guess the don't buy that range rover prudence so here's a question for you guys how do you exponentially increase your net worth during a time of recession uh tony robbins has a book on that just literally that exact subject wow what's it called he wrote an entire book based on when there's a recession how to make money on it and i will give you the exact title which book? I mean, because I read Money Master the Game, and I mean, he talked about a bit of that, but not. Uh, I will find it. Well, uh, Austin, I think at the very basic, things that I'm doing this year to try and, you know, just at least, you know, ha- have some level of caution, caution in my life is uh, any sort of debt payments I do currently have, I'm going to try and eliminate this year. Okay, like such as like I have a car payment. Okay, I'm gonna try and get rid of that. Like I'm gonna pay off my car this year. Um, the investments that I am gonna be making this year, I'm gonna be doing uh, for things that I believe, um, you know, I'm, I'm gonna be able to buy them at least well below their intrinsic value. Okay, such as the, the you know the the real estate that I'm buying. That I'm oh, that's buy a juicy that. one. That's a juicy yeah, one. Those are some juicy deals. And but also the most and this is I think the most important that it has um, income related to it. Okay. By the way, the book is called Unshakable. By oh, that's Robbins. a really good book. Yeah. Unshakable. You're muted. Can you repeat that? Unshakable. It's a really good book. Actually, do you know what? Um, the, the I read that book when I was on a ferry hmm. uh, on my way back from Victoria. And the last chapter okay, of that book has always stuck with me. Because it was the first time that I really was introduced to the idea that I don't actually just have to be suffering all the time. Like mentally, which is an interesting thing how that came out of a financial book, right? Mm-hmm. Um, just the book. Don't sell at the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like I think one of the stats in the book was like the, the people that, um, uh, like Austin, okay, who uh, out of all of the different um, people they studied, okay, who do you think got the best returns out of all the different types of investors? Which is a vague question, I understand. It's not like a, Yeah, well, what are the different types of investors? Well, the answer is dead ones. <laughs> because they don't sell. <laughs> wow. Yeah. They don't time they don't time to market. People They don't watch the baseball games. Yeah, they don't watch the baseball game. Yeah. Because they're literally dead. John, do you remember when I called you uh, a little bit stressed out in like uh, end of March last year about investments because I had bought a I had bought a bunch of VFV and you had told me to you had bought VFV and sold it into I think you said you sold it a little bit of it at least to buy your condo and then yeah you sold it at its all time high and then I bought it at its all time high well no it went down a little bit and then I bought it and then it went down like twenty percent because of COVID 
and I remember calling you and being like, yo, what's, you know, I know you've, cause I had never invested in the stock market before. And I remember calling you and you were like, Austin, you know, you're not trying to, you're not trying to take this out anytime soon. Right. So, um, just never look at it. Like if you invested in it, don't look at it. He's like, that sounds really weird. I know. But if you look at it every day, that essentially says that you're trying to sell it. Are you trying to sell it or are you just trying to have it earn you money over the long term and like, let's say the next 10 years? I'm like, that's it. And you're like, this Great, is for index funds specifically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. That, yeah, just to just like, sound like, yeah. Index funds, because when you're investing in index fund, you're essentially saying, I'm just going to try and capture the general yeah, yeah, return yeah. of the market. And there's virtually, like, there's nothing like by you looking checking the price, the, you're you're just creating more noise that yes. in your life that doesn't need to exist. It's irrelevant. So that's why dead people have the best returns because they don't. Yeah. They don't. They can't sell. They can't buy. They're just. They're just. <laughs> that's it. They're not trying to time anything. Yeah. Right. There's. They're not. They don't have any feelings about any of it, which is interesting. Um. But so I'm trying to buy. You know, things with income associated to them as well. That makes just sense. Just to kind of alleviate. You know, maybe if there's um. You know, some sort of. Uh, you know, hardship with my business, then I can maybe, you know, have some, you know, lean back a little bit of, yeah, I can lean back a little bit on that. Great song. Um, I'm also not taking on any sort of extra, like with say like uh lifestyle expenses currently. Like, so I'm not buying really anything. I'm not, you're decreasing you know, like not, your surface area. Yeah. I'm not like, like despite this being, you know, like, it's what do you mean by like, that? Like you know, you're not doing any other activities essentially? For example, I'm not like, I'm not picking up, like I picked up pickleball this year, but like I've already spent as much on pickleball as I'm going to spend for the rest of my life, which is $50 for a single racket. <laughs> okay. Like, so like, that's like, that's a cheap sport to play. Okay. But some people are going to, you know, buy a boat, for example, mm. and now they got to gas up the boat. They got to bring the boat down. They got to take weekends off to go use the boat. Right. Mm. They, you know, some people are, you know, buy, you know, a condo up at Big White. Now they're going to be skiing every year. They got to get ski passes. They got to get new skis every couple of years. You know, they, but then of course, when you're up there, you got to drink and then, you know, you yeah. sounds, like, sounds, like so, sounds like golf. Sounds like golf. Yeah. Well, but yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't know golf that well. It yeah. sounds yes. like cheap sport, Yes, yes, yes. The concept John's yeah. talking about, it, it's like, it's it's whenever you're making decisions, if you want to optimize to live like a good life, you want to make decisions that reduce future decisions that you have to make. Yeah. So if you decide to buy a Lamborghini, you're going to have to decide when to take it for an oil change, when to wash it, where to park it. And, and it's just like, it increases the surface area of your life. You know, if you join a club. No, but I'm also talking about just financially, like, like oh, strictly totally, financially. Yes. Like I'm trying to not bring things into my life that would have extra expense related to them. Like for example, um, you know, get like getting a physical location for my business. Like I'm gonna hold off and and wait to see how next year goes. Like I'm not gonna try and bring that in like as extra overhead, right? Like, you know, there's, you know, buying another company vehicle for example. I'm gonna hold off because I want to wait. Do I need that next year? Like I don't know yet, right? Like so, there's certain things where there's a certain level of cautiousness that I that I'm gonna have, and you know, uh. In the short run, you don't perform as well if you're slightly more cautious because you, you're going to miss out on some of the prosperity, right? But if it's false prosperity, then it, it doesn't really make a difference anyways. Like, think about how many people probably felt like they were the biggest losers when all of their neighbors were, like, getting super rich during the uh, 08 uh, financial crisis with uh, with the real estate bubble. And their and their friends were, like, you know, because the, the, the house pricing were going through the roof. People were like, were like literally borrowing against that house to buy another yeah. house. That house went up in value. And they had like, it was literally like one, like, I mean, if you watch The Big Short, Dude, which is one of my favorite yeah, movies yeah, ever, yeah, it's yeah. so good. 
right? You yeah. can see how that comes right. crumbling down. Like that stripper, it was like five houses that she had. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. So, but like, there's a lot of people that, that like, you know, they, they live good during the boom times and live shitty during the bust times. I would rather live moderately during the boom times and live, you know, moderately during the bust times, right? Like if I can afford my, my dream car during the middle of a depression, then I know I'm going to be able to afford it during the middle of a boom, right? But if you're basing your lifestyle and your expenses and, and the way you're going to, you know, you spend your money at the peak of the boom, you're fucked during the middle of the, of the, of the recession, right? Oh, dude. So I got a haircut a couple of, couple of weeks ago and uh, it was the first haircut I got since November. So it's been like you know, <laughs> seven months. And uh, this guy was like, you know, I went to, you know, he, he owns a barber shop, but like no business. So I had to literally go to his condo in his bathroom. Like I could have easily just slit my throat and, you know, nobody would have known where I was. It was so <laughs> sketchy. But instead, he gives me an amazing haircut. Um, and he was like stre- telling me about the stresses of his life and, and you know, trying to keep up with his expenses. And, you know, he's a really nice guy. One of the best barbers ever that I've gotten. And so at the end of the, the, the haircut, I like tipped him. You know, I tipped him like $100. I'm like, thank you, man. Like, you know, I appreciate it. Hope your business does well. Um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Yesterday, I'm crossing the street, you know, waiting for the light to go green, and this Porsche rolls by, and it's the and it's the barber in a Porsche waving at me, and you know, no, face palm. Then I'm like, oh god, I am. Uh. There's this, there's this quote that summarizes this little story perfectly. Oh, <laughs> oh my god, dude, that is so good. And That's the most 2021 story I've ever heard in my entire life. Oh, yeah. boys. Dude, there tell was me this... he bought it in the fall of 2019. Man, so there's this place in LA called the uh, Comedy Store. Yes. This is where all the top comedians like started that out. My dream oh, there. yes. You know, and, and uh, there's this, so there's the, the manager or the owner, her name's Mitzi. And she had this big quote on the wall. And it said, it's a sin to support mediocrity it's a sin to support mediocrity because the idea was if there's like a bad comic who goes on stage and he has like mediocre jokes or he's you know he's stealing jokes and you go out and be like hey man you know that was pretty good like better like next time you know and not actually giving him the feedback that's a sin you're supporting mediocrity here's this guy driving with his porsche i don't know if i'm gonna tip the guy as much but definitely made sense why he was stressed you know working yeah. 14 hours a day well when uh, when mitzi died uh, a lot of comics were she died maybe a couple of years ago quite recently i think uh and uh a lot of comics were just so distraught about it because she was so essential in their upbringing because she was just so spot on with feedback had no you know, and she pulled no punches. You know, yeah, she, she didn't she, support mediocrity. She she improved comics faster than any other way could, right? Yeah. So, I think about that, and I'm thinking in my life, where do I in my life support mediocrity or encourage it? Yeah. And it's mostly with myself, to be honest. So. Yeah, boys. You guys want to uh, 
Going to Mac versus Wise. Mac versus Wise. Let's do it. So I uh, I wanted for this special segment, I thought I'd go a bit back in time, you know? We, we have the uh, some of the older heads listening to this. You know, Jordan Kipnis, Chris Thompson, you know, Corey. So I said, let me go back in time to their era. And let me find some whack music that was very popular. So I present to you this song. And uh, very famous. You guys will know the chorus. I'm willing to bet that you've heard this before. It's called The Bad Touch from the Bloodhound Gang. And it's from their award-winning album titled Hooray for Boobies. So strap in, ladies and gentlemen, for The Bad Touch. There we go. Three, two, one. Oh my God. Three hundred seventy-six million views, six hundred million on Spotify. This song just cracked a billion. Oh my god. Baby sweat, baby sex is a Texas drought me. Can you do the kind of stuff that only Prince would sing about? So put your hands down my pants and I'll bet you feel nuts. Yes, I'm Cisco, yes, I'm Ebert, and you're getting two thumbs up. You've had enough of two hand touch. You want it rough, you're out of bounds. I want you smothered, want you covered like my waffle house. Hash browns coming quicker than FedEx, never reaching apex. Just like Google Cola stock, you are inclined to make me rise an hour early. If you get the chance to see this on YouTube on our channel, man, it's hard to believe that like that's the thing. <laughs> that's a thing. Oh, it is a thing. A billion views, won multiple awards. A billion views, man. Oh, John, bless us with your uh, with your rendition of this. And for uh, for reference, John is wearing a silk scarf on his head for effect of what yeah. he is going to be sharing he, with he, us so. he's gone babushka mode babushka mode yes can you highlight you got it wait there haha <laughs> well now we call this the act of mating but there are several other very important differences between human beings and animals that you should know about Sweet baby, sweet, baby sex is Texas drought. Me and you do the kind of stuff that only Prince would sing about. So put your hands down my pants and I'll bet you feel nuts. Yes, I'm Siskel. 
yes, I'm Ebert, and you're getting two thumbs up. You've had enough of two-hand touch. You want it rough. You're out of bounds. I want you smothered. Want you covered. Like my Waffle House at Hash Browns. Come in quicker than FedEx. Never reaching apex. Just like Coca-Cola stock, you are inclined. To make me rise an hour early, just like daylight savings time. You and me, baby, ain't nothing but mammals. So let's do it like they do on the Discovery Channel. Do it again now. You and me, baby, ain't nothing but mammals. So let's do it like they do on the Discovery Channel. Get Getting horny now. Incredible. True masterpiece. So, would you rather listen to those or you have the Bloodhound Gang and their coveted album, Hooray for Boobies, or scholars who have studied the development of leaders have situated resilience, the ability to sustain ambition in the face of frustration at the heart of potential leadership growth. Why some people are able to extract wisdom from experience and others are not, Warren Bennis and Robert Demis write, remains a critical question. Some people lose their bearings. Their lives are forever stunted. Others resume their normal behaviors after a period of time. Still others, through reflection and adaptive capacity, are able to transcend their ordeal, armed with a greater resolve and purpose. Wow. I don't know. I'm gonna have to get. I'm gonna have to give it to John here. Yeah. Who's the author? That's uh, from the Le- the Leadership in Turbulent Times by uh, Doris Goodwin. Good Doris old Doris. Goodwin. Doris. Incredible. I'm gonna write that down. Leadership in Turbulent Times. That's a really good book. By Doris. Doris Goodwin. She's got some other good books too. Any closing thoughts, gentlemen? Anecdotes? Thoughts? Experiences? Well, I think this was a great conversation. And what I took away from it was when when I am feeling scramble-minded that I need to really call my attention to my attention and ask myself if it's in my best interest or the situation's best interest for me to actually be focused on that 100%. And also put in my schedule and actually commit to meditating. Mm. Oh, yeah. Because those two things kind of just go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. And and both of them become easier when you complement them with one another. You just try to do one of those two things I mentioned. It would probably be harder per, per unit of effort, you know? Mm. Yeah. I, I, feel, I feel good. So... Uh, after one of the major cra- in NASCAR, there was an event. Um, it was uh, when Dale Earnhardt actually crashed and, and passed away. NASCAR introduced like speed limiters on every car, and I feel after overcoming this invisible hurdle that I didn't know was a hurdle with, with CRB, I feel like I've just taken off a speed limiter on mine, and. And I really feel like I can really take this business and that there's really nothing in my way, no invisible anchors. And um, we have an incredible product. The amount of results we're getting um, per customer that joins this program per week 
is is, is crazy. Every Sunday at 6.30 p.m., I make a post on our internal private group of all the wins. And the list has gotten so big that I've now reduced it to the top three wins because I would just be posting so much. And it's incredible. Um, I will, I, Patrick and I are going to take over the industry where we will bring order to a disorganized industry. And now I feel like I'm supercharged and I'm, you know, I feel good. And, uh, I'm glad to have friends like you guys to be able to extract always the best from me. So cheers to that. John, anything else? Amazing. Amazing. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been the weekly call. Thank you for joining us. Go out, be great. Cheers. Catch us on YouTube before we leave. We got a YouTube channel now, so all of our whack versus wisdoms, or at least the best of them, are up there, along with some kind of like a Joe Rogan style clip extract. So, not our entire podcast, just meaningful little clips of great conversations we've had with each other and with guests. Weekly oh, call. I'll tell you this. I am so confident in this YouTube channel. If you were to go to our YouTube channel and watch one video <laughs> that you do not feel like either you've laughed, found entertaining, or took away value from, I will delete the YouTube channel immediately. Yes. Like, we got John going up going up against some... Like, we wait till the end of our podcast to do Whack versus Wisdom, and we can under... We, <laughs> we can understand that, you know, some people might not get it as though it was meant to be gotten. The YouTube channel just puts it right out there, ready to consume. Yeah. So like we added this not as a gimmick. Yeah. Not because we wanted to, not because we have the free time, but because we do believe it will add more value. So if you're one of those people, if you go to a video that you do not find entertaining, you don't find something that you'll learn from, or you don't laugh, send a message to the Instagram and that YouTube channel will be decimated on site. Mm-mm. So Please take some time. If you like what you see, press like. If you want to share it, share it with your friends. If you have some feedback, leave a comment. And um, we're always looking for ways to, you know, engage with each other between Austin, John, and I in the best ways possible. And we believe by adding this medium, we can interact with you on a whole other level. So please let us know. And uh, thank you for being supportive. It really means a lot. See you guys next week. Hey listeners, thanks so much for tuning in this week. As usual, you can find us on Instagram at the Weekly Call Pod or through email at theweeklycallpod at gmail.com for any questions or comments about any of our material and just to kind of pick our brain or even challenge us on a few things we said today. The intro and outro music was brought to you today by William Scott Thompson. You can find him on Spotify under that name. He has a lot of other great material on there that you can go listen to as well. Thanks so much for tuning in this week, guys. We'll see you soon.